You're listening to Pretty Girls Talking Dirty. I'm your host, Elizabeth. My parents' idea of a sex talk was telling me, just don't. And while communication clearly wasn't our family strength, I forged for the truth anyway. Over 10 years of therapy combined with sexual and emotional exploration have led me here, to this podcast. This is Pretty Girls Talking Dirty. People-pleasing is a form of control. Trust me when I say this. I know if you are a people-pleaser, you're probably either shaking your head or furrowing your brow right about now. (laughs) Hear me out. When you put aside your own needs for the happiness of others, you're attempting to control the way that others perceive you. I think because of the way that I was raised and the way I fit into my family dynamic, I aged into someone who attempted to keep the peace by staying silent. Other times, I would make everyone laugh, whichever the moment called for. I was the youngest of three girls, and even though I was extremely quiet as a child, I showed a lot of academic promise early on. My parents, of course, praised me for that, and I became used to that outward validation from adults. I sometimes think about the factors that caused me to become a people pleaser. Was it that validation that I received? Or was that validation the only thing that gave me a sense of self-esteem? Was it because I didn't receive the type of love that I needed in order to feel validated throughout my upbringing? I know in some of my adult relationships that was definitely the case. The relationship failed because my partner and I had never talked about each other's needs in our new dynamic together. Other times it fell apart because one of us was not able to give in the way that the other needed. For example, I need words of affirmation or quality time. Sometimes we just weren't speaking each other's love languages, according to Gary Chapman in The Five Love Languages. I think part of me has relied too much on the other person for that validation, rather than obtaining it from within myself. And that's where I wonder... Does it even matter where my need to be like stemmed from? Maybe it's a process of wondering that does the healing besides. I saw people-pleasing occur in some of my former relationships. Some men will buy you gifts or help you fix things to make themselves indispensable. They will cancel plans, drop anything to help you. And let me say that it is incredibly flattering when someone will go to those lengths for you. But on the other side, what if I do that to myself? What if I give away pieces of myself that I need? When I think about the needs and wants of my own that I've pushed out of the way for a partner, it actually makes me a bit nauseous to think about the way that I've neglected myself. In a relationship, I am generous with my heart, my time, my ability to listen and empathize. I can exhaust myself if I open the doors completely, I came to realize. Like everything in life, a relationship is a balancing act. Open your heart too much and you can run ragged, open it too little, and you push the person away. Now let me stop right here for a minute and add, we are all human. 
we all have flaws. And also, part of psychology is placing people into boxes. It allows us to process trauma, relate to one another, and understand one another. I believe it can expand empathy. With that being said, picking apart personality can sound harsh. It creates labels which can feel painful, and it's okay to feel hurt by a label or a diagnosis. Not that this is meant to be used as a diagnosis tool. It's not. This is for me to better understand myself. And if it causes you to think more deeply as well, then I've done more than what I intended. Anyway, disclaimer aside. When you are not happy with yourself, you look for all types of ways to fill that void. Some of the obvious ways that we do this are addiction, coffee, drugs, work, our partner. Other ways are more nuanced. Our nurturing was deficient in some way, so we make ourselves invaluable to the people in our lives, constantly seeking their approval, constantly seeking their attention. I once went to Home Depot for, I can't even remember what, and a tall gray gentleman eagerly approached me to help. I told him that I didn't need help. After all, I'm an independent woman. But he insisted, and so I gave him my list, and he helped me find every item. I wasn't hurt by letting him help me. In fact, maybe that was a bit of exposure therapy for me to actually let someone take away some of my independence. And the joy in seeing his eagerness as he found each item on my list filled my soul. Not every instance of our need to help is damaging. In the same sense, though, I've notoriously hurt myself by giving too much. I've tossed away hours of my life under the road as I drove across state lines to see a man I loved. Did it put me out? Probably not. Was that time I could have been doing something else? Something for myself? Absolutely. For me, I think my need to be seen in a positive light comes from a sort of codependence. I talked about this in my last episode, but I think it's worth mentioning again. What our actions really come down to is our core motivation. And for me, my motivation is to be seen. To be seen as someone who is kind, independent, intelligent. One of the defining factors of my mental health has been my diagnosis with PTSD. I spent a lot of years seeing different doctors who pushed medication on me even as young as age 12. It was the first time I'd been given a diagnosis beyond anxiety or depression, and the more I delved into post-traumatic stress disorder, the more I realized it made sense. The DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Disorders, explains that CPTSD, or Childhood PTSD, can be the result of a child's loss of a caregiver through abandonment, may be perceived as a serious threat to the child's own safety and psychological and physical survival. Bingo! Full circle. Nearly every time my dad would leave home to go on the road, my sisters and I would get into what we used to refer to as a fight with my mom. Sometimes we would try to get to the phone to call my dad's hotel and tell him what was happening, but she would unplug and hide the house phone. Every time that would happen, I would experience a trauma. My fear would trigger. My body's response was to feel abandoned. 
I was being hurt and the person that I believed could save me had left me alone here. This scenario has played itself over and over in my life. It led me to a sort of codependent push and pull with partners, with friends. But the key to stopping the cycle is to understand it. When a young child feels unstable in their parents' ability to provide the basic necessities, a trauma response is created. This is why we see adults who are too clingy in relationships, adults who refuse to let vulnerability slip through the cracks to be seen and loved by their partner. We see control in our relationships because we never had that, and it gives us a sense of peace to believe that we now maintain it. I think my need to control the way in which I'm viewed is a trauma response to the abandonment I felt as a child. As a teenager, week after week, when my dad would leave, I wasn't certain if he would return. I wasn't certain of what would happen when he was gone. When I entered a romantic relationship, I sought validation from that partner, rather than having a solid foundation in myself because of that wound that I had. I sought out people who needed to be saved, people who were not healthy themselves because if I could save them, it meant that I wouldn't have to look back at myself. It left me in control of the narrative. And when you have control in a relationship, you sacrifice vulnerability. You can try to show up genuinely, but it will never fully function because of the wall you have created within the dynamic. Your value cannot come from inside this cycle because you have made certain of that by finding someone who can never really show up for you. And you can never truly reveal yourself because your main goal, whether conscious or not, is to maintain your safety. Now, I am aware of the negative connotation tied to the word control. I do not personally view myself as a controlling person, but there's no doubt in my mind that my immense need to be seen in a certain light is to maintain a sense of control. It's natural to want to control as human beings. Predictability, a sense of knowing what comes next. Here's the problem. Part of pleasing others unconditionally means that we are staying silent when we want to speak. It means we are saying yes when we might want to say no. When we stay silent, we allow other people in our lives to lead us without restraint. We're giving away part of our identity. I certainly do not want to be someone who sits aside and lets others determine who I am for me. There is no part of me that wants to walk around with a sticky note pinned to my shirt, trusting, genuine, happy, So then why do I sit on my hands and let the world move around me? If we don't speak up, we will never be heard or understood. We cannot passively live our lives and think that we are honoring ourselves at the same time. Living requires boldness and action. If nothing positive or exciting is happening in your life, look inside the window of yourself. When is the last time you went outside and found something exciting? I think Liz Gilbert put it best in her book, Big Magic, when she talks about the creative process. She had an idea for a book, and it quite literally ran away from her to someone else. She says, 
All I know for certain is that this novel really wanted to be written, and it didn't stop its rolling search until it finally found the author who was ready and willing to take it on. Not later, not someday, not in a few years, not when time gets better, not when life becomes easier, but right now. People-pleasing is a form of control. It's also a form of self-sabotage because it denies your innermost desire, which is to be loved and valued. When we attempt to make our loved ones feel perfectly happy, we give away our personal autonomy as well as their autonomy. We basically force ourselves to hand over our independence card in exchange for an unstable controlling engagement. How are we expected to have a genuine connection if we're not letting the other person in on how we truly feel? Do we really think that they want our silence over our opinion? And if that is the case, then we need to be asking a whole different set of questions about our worth that we would be with someone who asks questions about us without caring about our answer. So, let's regroup. People-pleasing empties us. We give too much to everyone else and not ourselves. In our society, we're praised for this. Oh, look, she's so giving. She's so generous. No, this is not a trait to be praised. We are just as important as anyone else. My ex-husband used to see that I would overextend myself and he would say, when you're on an airplane, they say that in the case of an emergency, you're to put your oxygen mask on yourself before anyone else. Do you know why? Because if you don't give yourself oxygen, you will pass out before you even get a chance to help the person next to you. Shortly after my separation, I rented a room from a lovely woman who had a big house she could no longer afford since her own divorce. My kids and I rented the upstairs bedroom, the three of us, in a beautiful sunny room. It didn't take long, though, before I started to see that the other tenants in the house, an older gentleman and a young man, were taking advantage of the landlord. The reason this was such an easy feat for them is because she was a people pleaser. Not only did she not know how to say no, she absolutely refused. She took the responsibility of the people in her house as her own, becoming less of a landlord and more of a caretaker. She was extremely patient and generous. There were many weeks where she let me pay my rent by week because I was so tight on funds. But I saw that the others in the house were exploiting her need to please, telling her how much rent they were going to pay, which was sometimes nothing at all. And she accepted it. She guilted herself into believing that it was the only option. She was so debilitated by fear and anxiety of being seen as someone who was difficult or harsh that she let others determine her narrative. Give yourself oxygen first. Know that you are greater than your trauma and honor yourself. Honor your needs, your voice, your opinion. Honor others too and their reaction to your decisiveness. Know that living your life as a silent observer only perpetuates your wounds of feeling abandoned, of feeling empty, full of fear. Being a bystander in your life doesn't allow you to control anything or anyone except yourself and your happiness. 
Surrender to your purpose requires a release of control. Allowing yourself to be who you are and allowing others to be as they are. At the end of the day, don't we all just want to be seen for who we truly are? You've been listening to Pretty Girls Talking Dirty. I'm your host, Elizabeth. If you'd like to help the podcast, you can do so by leaving a review, subscribing, or sharing this episode on social media. Until next time.